Welcome to the Fun Engagement Pod from Fun Insights, bringing you insights straight from the experts. You can join the Fun Engagement Network at funinsights.co.uk and we'll let you know when new episodes come out. We're also on Acast, Google, Apple and all major podcasting platforms. This stuff is the future. 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 Welcome to episode 14 of the Fan Engagement Pod, an interview with Daniel Lambert from Bohemians FC in Dublin. When we spoke during lockdown, he was marketing and commercial director, but he's now chief operating officer, reflecting, I think, the important part that his vision has played, which has seen Bo's recovery from their near death in 2011 to being a widely respected institution, both in the Fitzbear area of the city itself and Ireland, and also, I think, for people in football generally. The real secret, though, has been the dedication and passion of the fans, not least uh, people like Dan and groups like the Gypsies Supporters Trust and people like Jerry Sexton. It's truly a joint effort. I became involved in Bose in 2011 when they were days away from extinction with a debt-ridden club that was a mystery to its fans, let alone its community. I can say that without doubt, sincerity, openness and recognising that football clubs of any type of collaborations between those who run, own, support and sustain them is what has led to their rebirth and growth. You can join the Fan Engagement Network at faninsights.co.uk forward slash network forward slash join. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Look, first of all, thanks for having me on. I suppose the, the nine years since you've been over, um, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to convey the scale of change that has been in... Um, in nine years, I suppose if we go back to to when you visited. Um, as you've said, we had multiple um, board meetings where we thought they they were probably the last board meeting that we'd we'd ever have. Um, you know, it, it, it's hard to convey really how bad things were. But let's just say the club was was days at times from going out of existence. We had a you know huge huge uh, debt that that we just couldn't pay um, and had no prospect of paying. And we risked losing our stadium and as our sole asset, that would have really meant the winding up of the club. Since then, um, we managed to resolve those issues. I won't go into the, into the detail of how we resolved the financial issues, but it really made people refocus their minds and look at, you know, we have, we have the oldest club in the league. We've one of the oldest clubs on the island of Ireland and one of the oldest members-owned clubs, um, I, I think, in Europe. And the club is 130 years old. And I think that people had forgotten... Um, they'd lost sight of the fact that we had this this ownership structure they knew it existed but i think people forgot that the, when someone said the club should do this or the club should do that that meant themselves that the club is 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 you it's it is the person who's saying that and we really we made a strategic plan um in 2011 and the whole focus of that plan was on forgetting about trophies forgetting about where we finished in, in the league and it was really about refocusing on the values of the club its natural assets, the things that it stood for in the local area, and beginning to create a club that people were proud of. Um, uh, honest communication uh, from the board to the members, and really, when whether it was a player or a new fan or a commercial partner, anybody who got involved with Bohemians, we were straight up and honest about where we wanted to go as a club. We wanted a club that people could be proud of, and 
that really is, 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 has guided everything we've done since then. And we, we, we really just changed what the priority was. Tro like a trophy now, if I think of winning a trophy now, you know, I, I think it'd be a good, a good thing and I'd be, I'd be happy, it'd be a great day. But it's really one of the least important things, actually. If you, if you, run, the, if you're, you run your club properly and do the right things, trophies will arrive. When you set them as the priority, you've missed the whole point of football, I think. Okay, that's a pretty decent opening um, pitch, if you like. I mean, it's, um, it's something that probably a lot of, I think a lot of people I know um, will, will understand what you mean by that. But let's just delve into a little bit of that, if I can, um, if we can, is this whole idea of, of, of what a football club's purpose is. And... Um, what your I mean, I know that in terms of your local area, it's Fitzborough, isn't it? Is that right? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. right, yeah. Round, round, around the, around um, a Daly Mount Park. Um, and for anyone who doesn't realise, Daly Mount Park used to be the international stadium, of course, for the Irish <coughs> um, international team. Um, and um, I've, I remember that a lot of your purpose was, if you like, sort of geographic and localised. And it was about, and I remember the conversations about, um, you know, you had a prison locally. Mm -hmm. um, and you had uh, groups in need, you know, groups in the local area who needed help and possibly the football club could operate in that way. Now, we get all of that, but in the end, I suppose some people will say, but you are a sporting institution. So um, that's then is quite a difficult balancing act because um, is it the case that, do you, do you think that people will buy let's just say you know is there a limit to people's patience when it comes to trophies aren't our focus or is it um a bit i suppose a little bit perhaps like norwich city probably would say um and ben kensel's there there the chief operating officer there is a good one to talk to about this is is actually really what you're saying is, is if you get you really focus on making the institution understand itself, understand why it's there, understand who it's there to serve, then actually your obsession becomes, it becomes less of an, results become less of an obsession, I suppose. They don't cease being a focus. They become less of an obsession. And in that sense, that creates an environment where winning almost becomes a bit easier <laughs> and because dealing with defeat is easier. Yeah, I, I think so. Like if we if we look at where we are now, say to where we were uh, eight nine years ago, uh, we haven't won anything in the eight or nine years. We haven't won a trophy, um, and our crowds are up by over a hundred percent. Our commercial income is up by about four hundred percent. Our number of youth team players is up by probably a thousand percent. And we have a women's team. We now have a charity, a foundation. We have like a, a club poet. We have a group of club artists. We have a club choir. Uh, if, if I was to put up on, on a list what, what the club, what, what physically the club was eight years ago and what it is now, it's, it's such a broader footprint and our crowds are so much bigger and every barometer that you look at has such a, a high rate of success, but, but left out of that is the trophy part. And I think mm. what we realised was that as a members owned club, we operate in an environment where we've got a couple of privately owned clubs in Ireland that have me mega wealthy backers. And they go through each year and they make a, a substantial losses and it doesn't matter because someone bankrolls it. But we now make, make quite a decent profit. And what we found is that the, the buy-in from fans, our merchandise sales, all, everything we do has increased um, 
so much, and it's not based on results. Now, look, that's not to say we have a great team, a great manager. You know, we, we did qualify for Europe this, this year, the first time in, in eight years. Um, so there has been, you know, improvements on the pitch. But again, they haven't been, you know, there hasn't been a cup final. There hasn't been, a, a, you know, a, a closely uh, fought title race. And what's been most fascinating really is that, you know, the local area here where we live, you know, the amount of people who previously would have never considered coming to our stadium. Um, they know they're interested. They want to know. And, and it's, it's families and young people. And what I, when you mentioned the purpose of a football club, I think that what's, what's pretty important now is that footballs are the last lifelong institution that people have. In Ireland, nobody really goes to church anymore. You know, 20 years ago, churches are packed. Now they're empty. Catholic church has no real credibility in Ireland anymore. Um, and you look at what people used to get involved in. They might have been in a trade union for life. Trade union numbers are falling. So you look at these things that people had from, from, you know, birth to the grave, and there could have been three or four things in there. Now they're, they're all finished, but football remains. And I think that if, if you as a football club can relate to somebody in a, in a, you know, on an emotional level, on a, on a value level, where they say, this is something that's an important part of my life, that, I think that is the key. And that, that really is a, has been our focus. And aside to that was that we did a lot of things that we think are good in the local area, work with asylum seekers, marriage equality referendum here. Um, there's lots of different social issues that football clubs in Ireland and other sporting bodies didn't touch. And we decided we were going to get involved with those. And again, that just, it, it seems to have created a situation where we're viewed very differently now. In, mm. in Ireland, I think that the general public view us very differently than other clubs. And, and I think that that's a good thing. Okay, I mean, it's an interesting one because... It's something that I've spent a little bit of time thinking about and did a little bit of work on some years ago is this concept of purpose. And people, um, you know, football doesn't have a lot of time to think about uh, the big things. It's just the way it is, you know, whether it's, um, you know, the seven or so months, I think in, in seven, eight months you have in Ireland for a season or the nine months over here or what have you. Um, and it's not only that period of months when you're playing, it's the, it's the period of time out of it. You're preparing always preparing for something else and you're looking at transfers and you're looking at whatever and it's difficult to think about what um you what you actually are and what your purpose is and I remember um that you know or I look at one of the things that a lot of people will um will look at when they come when it comes to football club is you mentioned you've got a charitable arm now you know they'll look at that and they will think of um that being the bit that does the the, the 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 fluffy stuff if you like when actually the real key um uh, uh is is incorporating it into everything you do and you think and you you actually go back to the why why do we exist not how do we do things or or what do we do it's why do we actually exist you know and, and actually that probably makes it easier for you to do all these other things that you do and for them to be an absolutely fundamental part of the football club. But it also, when it comes coming down to fan engagement, it also perhaps makes you more appreciative and alert to the people locally who, you know, in a club, let's be honest, a club the size of Bose is going to need those people. You know, you don't have the ridiculous level of, of, of interest in the game in Ireland as in your club, in your domestic league, as we do in, in say in England or in, in say in Germany or Spain or Italy. So actually this brings it down to fan engagement being a strategic 
um, consideration, doesn't it? You've got to have it in the middle of everything you're doing and, you know, running it like a thread through the football club. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with a members own club with fan engagement, I think that basically that, that, that is the reason you exist. If your fans aren't engaged and your members aren't engaged as a members own club, a fully member owned club, um, you know, if that, if that isn't there, what is the football club? Does it even exist anymore? If we don't have active uh, engagement by our, with our membership base, they are the people who own the club. They're the people who should choose its future direction. They're the people who, who, who need to invest in it fully. And, um, you know, I think that, that, again, that's just something that we, we lost. We hadn't realized anymore. And, and you know, when we, when we take decisions now, we really do look towards these values and say, is this, is this consistent with the values of the football club, with being naturally inclusive, progressive, with being a democratic body, with being... The, the football club is, is naturally, uh, you know, I'd say, you know, it's, we look at what the world has become and what football in the UK is with hyper-commercialization of football. A member's own club is naturally stands against that so i think that these these things should be reflected in what we do and, and that that in turn then shapes our membership base and the, and the way they behave right and, and um when it comes to um uh, irish football more generally um i mean I, I i have probably more knowledge than some people do having spent a little bit of time working with yourselves and some other clubs over there what you know when it comes to let's you know and i'm you know obviously you're going to be um I'm not asking you to be critical of overly critical of anyone because that's not really what the purpose of this podcast is. But when you do have um, a club like Dundalk, for example, you know, who have overseas investors, they spend a lot of money every season. Do you see that they could maybe learn something from yourselves or, you know, other clubs in, uh, you know, in Ireland who, uh, who perhaps don't have that kind of ability to that access to money, you know, do you, do, 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 does the way you do your fan engagement have lessons for other people, despite the fact that obviously there are things that are particular to you as a members club? Yeah, um, I, I think basically that what every club needs to do is, I think what, what's happened in Ireland is, and I, I can only speak for, for Irish clubs, is that, and I think it's fair to say that, you know, um, if you show, well, I, I'd like to think that we're slightly different now, and I know that, that other clubs have worked very hard in, in this area. So what I'll say is that I know 10 years ago, if you were to show a list of League of Ireland clubs to the average person on the street, I think that there would have been, most of them would know who they are and the response would have been that they're a group of football clubs. I think if you said to them back then, can you tell me anything about the clubs? They, they'd probably say, no, no, I, I can't really. The average person on the street would say, yeah, look, I know Bohemians are from Dublin and Dundalk are from Dundalk or whatever, but I don't think there was ever any point of difference. And the clubs aim was to try and each club tried to win games, win a trophy, and that was their, their reason to exist. Um, and I think when you step back away from that and you say, okay, that's a given. You're a football club. You're going to play football. You're going to want to win games. That's all a given. So when you look to one side then and say, okay, what, what are my natural advantages? What are my, you know, my natural qualities, my natural um, kind of values? And they're different for each club. You know, for us, we're member-owned, so that's important. For another club, they might be privately owned, but they might have a fascinating history and they could be you know, all kinds of local folklore, whatever it is. Like for us, we use the People's Club as a line. Um, I know Everton use it too, but that's because we're owned by the people. And we use Dublin's Originals because we're the oldest club in Dublin. So look, you know, if you're, if you're a Dundalk, you've got other, other taglines, other strengths. And I think then when you take those and they're real, they're real things. The key thing about, about engaging with people is if you don't engage with people on a level that's honest and real, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't, it's not worth doing at all because it just falls apart. It's, it's false. 
and you, you engage with people and you take those assets, people respond to that. And what you're doing then is true to what each club is already. And I think what we did in terms of engaging with people and, and, uh, and marketing the club and things is that we didn't have any money. Like I was marketing director for, for years. Uh, I, still, I still covered a marketing director brief at Bose and uh, the budget I would have spent over the last nine years, I'm going to guess, is two or 3,000 euro you know, per, per season, maybe 300 quid. But we had, we've, we've had global reach at times. And, you know, I think when you've got no money like that and you're trying to engage with people, number one, you've got to do things differently to everyone else. The media is saturated with homogenous information. So you've got to stand out from the crowd. And whether that's putting Bob Marley on a football shirt or that's putting refugees welcome on a shirt or it's having the first club poet in Europe, whatever that is, they seem like trivial things, but they aren't because they get you immediate attention. And media attention is hard to come by. But once people look at what you're doing then, like we have a group of artists now who do a, a match day poster for each game and they're locally based artists who you get some really talented local artists who, who find it hard to get a, a platform for their work. So they're willing to do this for us. You know, we get revenue from the posters, but it sets us, it sets us aside from the other clubs. The same thing is true with a club choir. All these things seem like they're kind of soft, kind of fluffy issues, but really they differentiate your club and they get new people involved. And I think that in an area when you talk about engaging with people, if you sit in an area like we do in a big city, you, know, you have to accept that some people are going to be into football, other people won't. They might be into music, they might be into culture, they might be into the arts. And if you can broaden what the club offers to people, and it's, it's, look, it's interesting to look at the original memo in arts for our football club. It was written 130 years ago, and it lists out like running, jumping, dancing. Like it listed a whole load of things that the club should be involved in. And the first time I saw that, I thought that was, that was crazy. It's, it's extremely smart make your club appeal to the broadest base that you can, you know, and football might be your main thing. It might be 90, 90% of what you do, but if you don't have the other bits, and I think the other bits are crucial, it brings in diff different demographics, different skill sets, and it makes your club a more appealing place. So I don't know if that's slightly on a tangent there, but. No, good tangents are good, Dan, Tang especially for someone like you, so multi-talented. Um, I know you just, been finished building your own house <laughs> so add that to the list um there's one other little thing i'd just like to sort of talk about briefly at least is um uh, the new stadium now now um how important without going to the technicalities of it because i know it's been a long journey um uh, and it's been pretty hairy at times mm -hmm. um but ha i suppose what strikes me is um well I suppose the question is, is, has a lot of what you've done in terms of fan engagement, how much has it just been what you, you know, going back to the original articles of the, of the company, uh, of, the, uh, of the company and, and, and stripping everything back and just being, you know, doing it because that's what you need to do to bring the club back to life? And how much has it been intentional? Um, you know, your fan engagement programme has been impressive and the way you've reached out and, and some of the tangents you've got, gone off on and you've grown, you've grown it, you've been true to its, its character, I suppose, in many respects. But how much is it has been very mindful that fan engagement really matters for the development of this stadium? Because this is a big, you know, this gets rid of that monkey on your back. Um, oh, yeah. this, this, this solves everything for you in terms of any threat to, to your existence disappears when that stadium is built. That's it. Done. Uh, yeah. and you can live your lives again. Yeah, the stadium puts us in a whole new place. It does. It brings it brings the club from a point uh, to to from where we are now. We're in a, an okay position now, but we are this this we're constrained a lot. But look, your question that how much of that was intentional? A lot of it was intentional. We knew we knew a couple of things. Uh, you know, in two thousand and fifteen, we 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 met we 
came to a, an agreement with the, the Dublin City Council here and the local government uh, bought the stadium. That cleared our debt and that bought the stadium. That was a pivotal point for, in the club. Um, it really did mean that we couldn't go out of existence anymore. Once that happened, what was totally obvious to us was that we weren't relevant in the local area. And that was a sad thing to realise, but it was true. A football club that was that old and had been in the city for that long, we, we had become irrelevant to people. They just, they didn't, either they didn't know or they didn't care or both. And we had to engage with fans and the local area. We had to make ourselves more relevant. It wasn't feasible that local government and national governments would commit large resources, uh, you know, at any time. Uh, you know, it, there's always priorities with healthcare, education, everything else in every country in the world. And to have local governments support a project like our stadium meant that we had to, we had to mean something to local people. Local people ha had to see that and say, I, wanna, I want this to happen, I support Bohemians. And we've managed to do that in a short space of time. And it's down to a lot of work by a lot of people, too many people to mention. Um, and it really was all our fans and members and the club and everyone else pulling together. But now, you know, when that went to a, to a vote at Dublin City Council, it, it was unanimous at, at council here. And people wanted to save the stadium. And now we have pretty much no opposition to the redevelopment of the stadium. And what we're very keen on with the new stadium, without going into too much detail, but it's, it's a hope for the local area. We, we want to have a library in there. We want to have local schools use it. We want it to be visible. And I think that, you know, where a football club play should be a place that's alive for as many hours a week as possible. It shouldn't just come alive for an hour or two every two weeks. You know, we, I've even said to the council, it'd be great if they could open up parts of it during the day that could be used as a pedestrian route through the city. So you can walk through the stadium, you know, obviously there'd be gates and things, but that if you're a young kid and your parents bringing you for a walk through a stadium, you want, you want to go there. So we really want the new stadium to be a hub for the local area and that people are there to, you know, visit a library, go to a crash, play with their local school, but also come and see Bohemians play.